Good morning. Friends, it's good to be with you. Um, if I haven't had a chance to meet, my name's Joe. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we're going to spend some time looking at, uh, continuing looking at the story of Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. Before we do, though, I want to give you just a, a, tell you a little story, give you a little update on our church, this fun little, fun little thing we've been doing. When we, uh, one of the things that you probably know is we're a portable church. Um, both here and our free store is in rented or borrowed space. Here rented, there borrowed. Um, and uh, I, was, I was reminded of this because after the grand opening yesterday, we're, we're packing up like we do here and putting things back because the church uses the space when we're not using it for the free store. This is like, so we're kind of living into this in multiple ways. We have offices in borrowed space at one church and we have free store in borrowed space at another and we worship here. One of the things about being a, 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 in rented space here is um, all of our children's stuff and most of our coffee. Uh, who had coffee this morning, by the way? Okay. You almost didn't get coffee this morning because we, a lot of that's in the trailer and a trailer's pulled by a truck. We have a couple people who can pull it. Um, one of them being me and I was scheduled today with a, with a truck that our church has, this really old bucket of bolts red thing that you see out here. And I'm driving this morning, and uh, um, the brakes just don't feel like brakes as much as they should feel like brakes, which has been a particularly long week for me already because I was home with Finn sick, and then I got sick, and so just to keep your distance, I got a little bit of a cold, and um, you know, we did our taxes this week, so that's, that's annoying, and um, oh, way more than we should, and uh, but... Uh, um, so, so anyway, so not a particularly good morning to find out that the brakes aren't really working on this, on the, on this truck. So I decided it would not be good for us to have a, a, a news story two days in a row, and we would not pull the trailer, and um, so the trailer wasn't here. We pulled some stuff out, and, and we have kids hanging out in what is basically an empty conference room because we don't have anything really set up there. So I tell you that story to tell you this other thing that we were in the process. So we're in the process of looking to get a new truck because this is there's been some other issues with this truck. We, we bought it for like $2,000 a year and a half ago. It's been a great thing. We've been able to use it a lot. We use it for two things. We pull the trailer on Sunday mornings when a volunteer can't, um, and then we, we, we carry supplies for the free store, donations, things like that. So we use the truck for church fair amount. And we're going to look to, to buy a new one, but our Friday's team signed off on it. We have a little bit of money set aside that we would put towards it, but, but let's just throw it out there. Let's sit down with a couple people and ask them maybe they'd want to give to that, because we operate from this weird philosophy that people actually want to give, and so we just like giving people the opportunity to give, and so the plan was over the next month, sit down with a few of you and say, hey, we're looking to get a new truck. We use it a lot for ministry for both the free store and the Sunday morning, and so would you be interested in making a gift towards that? Um, well, here's the update on that. We're not going to do those conversations. The conversation is happening right now. <laughs> you are officially invited to give. It's very easy. Um, you know, God has really blessed us as a church um, financially in so many ways. Um, we, uh, we, we could very technically just go and uh, pay cash for a truck. We're looking to spend about ten to 15000 used truck. So not a super nice one, but nicer than a $2,000 one. So just a little bit of an upgrade. We want volunteers to be able to drive it. One of the, I think, deciding factors for our finance team was I was like, well, it's a fine truck. I just don't want any volunteers to drive it. And they're like, well, if volunteers shouldn't drive it. You shouldn't drive it. And I'm like, well, I mean, you know, but I mean, I can drive it. It's fine. Um, but so we, do, we are going to upgrade a little bit. And um, 
So I honestly just want to throw the invitation out there. If you feel, if you're like, you know, some people, there, I think majority of us like to give. Um, many of you give on a regular basis. We're so grateful for that. Uh, enables us to do a lot of really amazing things in the name of Jesus. And uh, if you'd like to give um, specifically to something tangible, you're like, you know what, like I like, I like the idea of giving my giving to something that I, I know where it's going. Um, I know how it's going to be used. Um, if that's you, um, we would love it. And I really invite you to do that. You can do it online. You can, you can do it all the ways that Alyssa mentioned earlier. There's a fund online already. I asked Alyssa to set up this morning uh, where you can give directly to, a, I think it's called Truck Fund or something like that. It's very obvious. You can give towards it. I'd encourage you, though, if you are a person who has the ability to give, that you would just spend all I'm asking just a few moments, pray about it, ask, could I, could I put a gift towards this? That what that would do is it would it would uh, the the more that you're able to give towards this particular project means we don't have to tap into some of the things that we're hoping to use um, for future projects um, as we look at um, eventually not being a portable church or eventually you know our own sp you know just future things future things that God might want to do in our community. That's that some of that resources we'd be cutting into for this, which we're willing to do. But if you're willing to give, you'd prevent that. So I'll leave it there. Super, super mild sell, but if that's something that you would be uh, inspired or challenged by God to do, um, then we encourage it. Um, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump into uh, our scripture this morning. Let's pray. God, I'm, I'm, I'm so thankful to be able to be here. Um, I ask that you would just quiet our hearts and our minds that you would help uh, rid some of the um, distractions in our lives, the things that we worry about, the baggage that we're carrying, that you would just help us breathe, center ourselves, so that as your word is being read, we could hear what you have to say to us today. In your name we pray, amen. We're currently on a series looking at Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. We kicked it off last week. If you didn't uh, hear the sermon, I, I do recommend um, uh, checking it out on our, on our podcast. Uh, it really is centered around this verse in Luke, Luke chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles or your smartphone, I, I, don't, I don't have very many slides this morning um, because Finn was sick and I was home with him. Did I mention that? So there's not a lot of slides, so I'm, we're going to rely on the text. So if you have your Bible or a smartphone, you can follow along that way. We're going to look at Luke 9 and 10. But Luke 9, verse uh, 54, uh, there's a verse that says, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, referring to Jesus' future, future ascension, he says, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Another translation says, he set his face for Jerusalem. So here's this moment in Luke where Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem. Last week, we talked about the fact that Jesus knew exactly what that would mean. He knew what Jerusalem meant for him. Now, this is ironic because in the ancient world, Jerusalem, going to Jerusalem was this celebratory thing. There's a whole collection of psalms. They're called ascent psalms where the people of Israel would sing these joyous songs about we get to go to Jerusalem. It was like Disney World, but not for Jesus. Going to Jerusalem meant something completely different. He knew, and he talked about this with his disciples. He mentions it three times, two times, just in the, in the, the chapter 9 of Luke, where he says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. And then I'm going to rise again. 
And what I want to look at today is Jesus then begins this journey, Luke chapter 9, verse 51. He says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. And to get to Jerusalem, he's got to go through Samaria. So I, I do have a map to help us get some perspective here. So here's a map. So Jesus spends most of his time in the north. That's where most of his ministry is. And he says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. And uh, so next slide, Max. Um, in order to get to Jerusalem, he has to go down uh, and, and, and potentially cross through Samaria. The problem is, is that you, you don't always travel through Samaria. It was very typical for Jews to go around Samaria because the Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. But Jesus was different. He was a different kind of Jew. He, he loved people um, and tried to cross boundaries. So he actually would go into Samaria quite a bit. And so this time, he, he's going down to Samaria, but instead of uh, going through Samaria, he actually has to go around it. And here's why. He sets his face to Jerusalem, verse 51 and 52. He says this, and he sent messengers uh, ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. So this is pretty typical of Jesus. Jesus' is, his first invitation to anyone is to be with him. His second invitation is always then to go where he isn't yet. This is the pattern of Jesus in the Gospels. First is like, come be with me, and then now I'm going to send you where I'm not yet. And, and so this is like John the Baptist, I'm going to prepare the way, but his disciples are just doing the same thing. He's like, I'm sending you ahead to prepare the way so that when I show up, I'm ready. So he sends his disciples ahead and... Um, it says this, verse 53. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading to, for Jerusalem. So they actually, part of the reason they didn't welcome him this time because he was just passing through and there's, you know, they knew he was going to Jerusalem and they have this, Samaritans didn't like Jerusalem, all this sort of stuff. So they did not welcome him. So this is what happens. Jesus says in Jerusalem, he says, when I get to Jerusalem, one of the things that's going to happen, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die. But he says specifically, I'm going to be rejected. What's so fascinating about this, as soon as he begins his journey, they experience what? Rejection. Like, right away. Now, this is like a training ground. He, he, this is foreshadowing what's going to happen in Jerusalem. And so, now the disciples get to learn how to deal with rejection. That's what I want to talk with you all today. How do we handle rejection? Because the next couple passages, Jesus is working through with his disciples on how to handle it. I'm going to show you the, in the next verses the, what you shouldn't do. All right? Here's, here's what happens. Verse 54. When the disciples James and John, side note, Jesus gave James and John a nickname. You'll see why in a second. The nickname was Sons of Thunder. I know that because my younger brothers, I have two younger brothers, James and John, and so my dad would always say, Sons of Thunder, you know, because this was like reference to James and John, and James and John were the Sons of Thunder. In uh, scripture, that's like in Mark chapter 3, they're referred to as the Sons of Thunder. Here's why. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? Okay, so they, they, they're going into to Samaria. They're going to pass through Samaria on the way to Jerusalem, and, and they're, they're going to do some ministry. Jesus isn't just traveling to Jerusalem. He's doing ministry on the way. So they go to Samaria, and Samaritans, they're like, well, we don't want anyone that has to do with Jerusalem because we don't like Jerusalem or Judaism or any of that stuff. So there's this great tension between them. And so James and John is like, well, you know, we have the God of the universe on our side. Jesus, do you want us to just lightning bolts on these people? That's one way to deal with rejection. I don't recommend it. Let's make this a little bit more relatable. Have you ever been hurt by somebody, and because of that, you wanted them hurt too? 
Have you ever been hurt by somebody, and, and because of the hurt that they caused you, you maybe didn't want to hurt them, but you wanted them to hurt? You, 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 in some, maybe as bold as James and John, but maybe a little bit more subtly, somewhere in your heart, there was a, a feeling, an inclination where you said, you know what, it would be all right with me if they suffered a little bit. It's one way to deal with rejection. I don't recommend it. Jesus says this, verse 55, Jesus turned and rebuked them. And then very wisely, he says, 56, then he and his disciples went to another village. One way to deal with rejection is to wish bad on the people who reject us. Here's the next way. Jesus goes on, and he, he's continuing to minister, and he's, he's still in this mode of like, he's had his disciples with him for two and a half, going on three years, and now he's beginning to send them out. And so in chapter 10, he actually has a large group of disciples, 72 at this point, so not just the 12, but a larger following of people who are traveling with him he's going to send out. Um, it's one of my favorite passages. If you listen to the daily reading, um, I talked about it in there, and uh, if you've, uh, a few people on staff had to listen to me talk about it this week, so sorry. But he sends these disciples out um, to, uh, once again, prepare the way to, to go where Jesus isn't yet and to do ministry and to invite people to be a part of the kingdom of God. And he, but now he realizes that his disciples are going to go out and meet people and not everyone's going to like what they're doing and so they're going to get rejected and he has to help them understand how to deal with rejection. And he gives them two pieces of advice. Here's the first one. He says, when you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you. He, he teaches this principle that we, the term is a person of peace. He says, when you go out and you're, you're doing what God has called you to do, what you're looking for is somebody who receives you. There's this goodwill. They don't have to believe the same thing as you. They don't have to, you know, they just, there's a sense of, goodwill between you and this other person. You feel well-received, and so then you can build on the relationship. Here, here's, the, here's the second piece of advice for dealing with rejection. Jesus is saying you don't force it. If, if somebody's against you, if someone isn't with you, if someone rejects you, you don't have to force it. You're looking for those who you can have that kind of relationship with, person of peace. And he goes on, he says, but if someone rejects you, he says, when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered, heal the sick, and, and there tell them that the kingdom of God has come near to you. But verse 10, uh, 10, 10, but when you enter a town and you are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. He says, when you go somewhere and you're trying to accomplish something and the people reject you, they kick you out, they don't want anything to do with you. He says, when you leave, leave even their dust behind. One of the ways we deal with rejection is we carry it with us. I was doing a little research on rejection and, and the, the feeling of getting rejected from a particular group, they say is very similar uh, neural pathways in your brain as being physically hurt. 
So like, and, and so they, they ran with that and they, they wondered maybe if someone, you know, is experiencing rejection or remembers the feeling of rejection, would Tylenol help? And they found it actually helped someone deal with rejection because the neural pathways of rejection and physical pain are so closely linked together. Except for one difference. And this is a dangerous uh, example. So proceed with caution. When you remember a physical pain, like when I was young, I broke my leg and I remember crying. When you remember a physical pain, it, it, it doesn't often, like, the pain doesn't resurface. Rem like, I remember, like, I remember me crying and being in an immense amount of pain when I broke my leg at the age of, I don't know how old it was, I was like in third grade, very young. But I remember crying. But that pain doesn't come back when I remember that physical pain. When you take time to remember a rejection that you experienced, you'll often experience the same kind of pain as when it first happened. And I meant it, like, I'm, now you're all trying to think of a rejection you experienced, and maybe some of you are, are feeling it already. And I think back, and as I was preparing for this, on places where I've experienced rejection, which I've experienced all kinds of um, rejection, um, it does. It, it can still hurt. There's this one story, I won't get into it, but this one story, I was a program director at a camp, and for some reason, I think it was because of my position or my personality, and I, you know what, you know, I got a hard personality to get along with. If, if you guys, you know, you might be, if you don't agree with that, you might be the few who don't, but, um, and because of my personality, my leadership style, et cetera, there was a couple people who just like completely rejected me as the program director in, in kind of some really violent ways. I remember that. I still feel like this like clamming up when I remember that, that feeling of rejection. Jesus says, and I actually really think there's some wisdom here. He says, do something actually physical, like wiping off the dust as a way of leaving it behind because we're not meant to carry that. We're not meant to carry that feeling of rejection with us. And Jesus says, if you're going to go out and you're going to do the work that I called you to, people, not everyone's going to like it. They're not. And it doesn't mean you're doing a bad thing. It might be just because you just misunderstood or because you're associated with, with a, it could be for a variety of reasons, but you can't carry that around. Don't even carry the dust of it. Leave it behind. And that, that is easier said than done. But there is something to be said about doing something physical, writing it out, tearing it up, you know, <laughs> burning something that reminds you of it, wiping off the dust, doing something actually physical to help you kind of leave that feeling, that sense of rejection behind. Here's what Jesus says. He says, if you're rejected, first off, don't curse. Don't, don't call down lightning on people good advice. Um, if you're rejected, don't try to force it. You're, you're looking for people that you can connect with. Don't, you don't have to force it. It does take work. There's conflict in any relationship, but you don't have to, you don't have to try to overcome every rejection. And, and the third one is you shouldn't carry it with you. And the last one might be my favorite. If you skip ahead in chapter 10, Jesus goes on to tell a story, starting with verse 25 of chapter 10. It's a story that I'm guessing the majority of you have heard before, but you might not have realized that it happens right here. 
You see, Jesus had just bumped up to Samaria with his disciples. Samaria rejected them. The disciples wanted to bomb them. Jesus says, that's not how we do it. He then explains how to interact with people you disagree with. And then moments later in this chapter, Jesus tells a story. And he tells a story about somebody who got beat up, left on the side of the road, and then a Pharisee goes by, and they don't do anything to help. And then a Levi goes by, they don't do anything to help. And then someone comes by and actually takes care of them, goes above and beyond the the call of duty to take care of them. And who was that person? A Samaritan. Isn't that interesting? They had just been rejected by, they had to go all the way around Samaria because of the rejection. It's very inconvenient. And Jesus goes and he tells a fictional story, what we call a parable. And who does he make the hero of the story? Samaritan. I think one of the biggest problems with rejection isn't just rejection itself, but the fear of being rejected. Are there people in your life because of their association with a particular group or a particular political affiliate, whatever, they're they're associated with something and you've just automatically assumed they've already rejected you? That's how they felt about the Samaritans. And Jesus comes around, he tells a story, and it's for a particular purpose. He says, he's basically saying the person you assume has already rejected you might be the neighbor you actually need. The person you assumed has written you off. I live in this weird space. I'm a United Methodist pastor, but I'm a new church. We're a new church start, and uh, you don't even have Methodist in our logo, so we're like a little bit of an outlier already. Um, you know, people actually complain about that. Not here, but like higher up. Like, why don't you have Methodist in your logo? They're not asking that anymore, by the way. Um. And, and we're like this weird sort of community where there's people here who, who have very traditional conservative views, people here who have very progressive views, a lot of people who live somewhere in the middle, and most of us are just trying to figure it out. And, and I'm telling you what, friends, I've, I've come to a place where because of the, the divisive nature of our, of our uh, world that we live in, the relationships that I have with even my family and some friends and pastors I went to school with and the, all of these different affiliations that people attach to, I have, I was thinking about this this week. There are large groups of people that I used to be friends with that I assume reject me now just because I'm not sure I agree with them. I, I just assume, I haven't even, t- I've never talked to them about it, but I just assume. Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritans, like, don't write them off yet. You might think they're just the no good Samaritan, but they might end up being the hero you need. I challenge you to think about this. Is there someone that you've written off that might be actually the person you need? Is there someone that you've assumed has already rejected you, but in assuming that, you've essentially rejected them? Jesus goes on to tell the story in, in Matthew. He tells a story about a, a, a vineyard. It's another parable of Jesus, and it has to do with uh, rejection. He says this parable that this landowner had this vineyard, and um, he, uh, he shopped it out to some other people who were working. And so at the fall season, he came back as the owner of the vineyard to, to, to share in the fruit of the vineyard. And the people he shopped it out to, um, he sends servants to go get the fruit, and those people, they, they kill all the servants. 
So the, the landowner says, oh my God, well, okay, well, I'm going to send even more servants this time to go and get the fruit of this, of this vineyard that I own, that these other people are working on, and they kill all those servants. So then the landowner says, well, I'm going to send my son. They'll definitely respect my son. And, the, and the, the people who are working in the fields, they say, well, this is the heir. Let's kill him, and then we'll have, we'll have it all. And so they do. They kill the son. And then Jesus says this. He's talking about himself here. He says, have you never read the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Just reflect on this with me for a second. He says, the, the, the stone the builders rejected. In other words, here's these builders. They're, they're skilled craftsmen. They know how to build things. And they have all these stones to choose from to be the cornerstone. The cornerstone uh, at one time was necessary for a sure foundation and everything kind of it had to be square and perfect and all this sort of stuff. So the builders who know what a good stone is said, that's not a good stone. We're not going to use that. And that stone, God then says, I'm going to build my entire kingdom on it. There's a sense that Jesus is essentially saying, God is essentially saying, I'm going to build the entire movement, this new vision for community. It's going to be built in and around someone who would be rejected. Friends, this is great news if you've ever been rejected. Because God's building this kingdom on rejected people. But friends, this is terrible news if you're hoping to maintain your status. Because God is building this movement on rejected people. The stone the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is how Jesus deals with rejection. As he goes through the story, and we'll get there eventually, he ends up in Jerusalem, he's put on trial, he's hung on the cross, now he's dying um, uh, he's being executed as a as a criminal, and there's soldiers who are doing their job, and he says to them, "Father, forgive them; they know not what they do." The one who is rejected refuses to reject us. The one who was tossed aside refuses to toss us aside the one who we often are at war with refuses to be at war with us and consistently over and over again loves us, chooses to embrace us, chooses to forgive us. Friends, the the stone that the builders said wasn't good enough, God said, I'm going to go ahead and build everything on that. You can be a part of it too. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would continue to give us courage as we step out in faith, as we walk this road with you, as we pass through Samaria, as we deal with the rejection in our lives, whatever that might look like. That you would... Continue to work in our lives. Open our hearts, inspire, and challenge us. Friends, I want to give you just a few moments.
give you some space to think and to pray. One of the spiritual disciplines I think we're worst at is silence. Oh, silence makes us uncomfortable. We turn on the music as soon as we get in the car. We turn on the TV as soon as we get home. God has given us silence so that we can reflect, so that we can be known. So I'm going to give you some time here, more time than you probably want, more silence than you're probably comfortable with, to sit, to spend some time hearing from God. Let's just take a couple moments, a couple minutes here in silence.